Let me tell you a story about a, a guy I've, I've come across several times over the years. His name is Charles Potrus Steinmetz. He's uh, long gone, but uh, he, was, he was a brilliant electrician, engineer, um, at the time of Henry Ford and all of that. Einstein, he was close friends to Einstein and um, uh, just a whole bunch of, of these guys. Now, um, Charles came from Germany originally, and he was kind of a unique guy. If you looked at him, you wouldn't think much. He was, um, he was four feet tall, which meant he was considered legally a dwarf. Um, when you looked at him, he seemed to have a larger head and larger hands and larger feet, but a small body. He would ride around um, on a bike, and uh, it, sometimes you'd look and think it was a kid, and sometimes you wouldn't. And, uh, but he was probably one of the most brilliant electrical engineers around. Even today, some of the stuff that he's put together, they're still trying to figure out. When Henry Ford built his big car plant to start producing cars, he needed someone who could put together the generators and all electricity to run everything in this new modern uh, plant that he, he had put together. Well, Charles, Charles was brought in. And uh, this, this man, as a brilliant engineer, had put all together. And you've got to understand these generators were massive, big things. Well, several years into, into production, one of the generators started acting up. And so the guys that were to do maintenance and, and had been trained to, to fix it, uh, they, uh, um, they tried to fix this, in, uh, this generator, but couldn't do it. Finally, Ford phoned Charles and says, you've got to come fix this generator. We don't know what to do. We don't know what's wrong with it. And, and, and we just desperately need your help. It's closing part of the plant down and so on and so forth. So Charles got on his bike and rode over to the plant, got there. And, uh, and they showed him the generator, and then they, they, he, he, they said, what do you need? Like, what kind of tools? What, what do you need? And, and Charles looked at them for a moment, and he says, I need a pad of paper, I need a pencil, and I need a cot. A what? A cot, you know, to lay down on. Okay. And so he, then he dismissed them all. He says, just leave me alone. And he sat down on the cot with his pad of paper, and just sat there. Actually, he sat there for two days, day and night. Every once in a while, he would take his notepad and he'd squiggle numbers on it and all this kind of stuff. And, 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 and they didn't have a clue what he was doing. Finally, after two days of this, he called them over and he says, I need a piece of chalk. You need a piece of chalk? Yep. And I need a ladder. A ladder. Okay, so they got him the ladder, and he climbed up on this massive generator and measured everything out, and then with his chalk, he put an X on one of the steel panels. Then he got down off the ladder, and he says, what I want you to do is get some guys to go up on that panel, take that steel plate off. There's 16 wires in there, part of the, the turbine, and, and you need to replace them. 16. He told them exactly where it was and exactly how to fix it and all of that. So these guys come in and they pull off the plate and they pull out the wires and they put in new wires, put that back to the plate, and boom, 
nothing starts to hum again and just is perfect. Charles goes home. Henry Ford is happy as all can get out and, 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 and things are working again. And then about two or three days later, he gets a letter in the mail and it's from Charles. Opens it up. It's a bill for $10,000. Now, in that day, $10,000 was a lot of money. And, and Henry Ford was a little bit of a chintzer. And, and, and so he kind of reacted. He says, Charles, well, what's this bill for? I'm like, look at what you did. You hardly did anything. And uh, Charles wrote back and he says, just so you know, you paid for $1 worth of chalk and $9,999 for my brains. Charles paused and looked at him and he said, okay, that's fair. And he paid him the $10,000. You ever had a boss complain to you about your work or how, how you function in, in, in the place that you're supposed to be functioning in? Has they ever questioned how you do, what you do, why you do? Have they ever criticized that you could have done it this way instead of the way you did it? It's interesting to watch different people in the employment world. But today we want to take you back to a different kind of employment. Now, if you're visiting with us, we've been going through Peter. We've been looking at chapter 2. And it's a marvelous chapter. But in chapter 2, Peter starts off with giving us a, a picture. A, 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 a picture of, of the church today. And, and he says the church is, is like a living stones joined together. And, and the very cornerstone is Jesus Christ. And, and, and into this world, Christ has brought this living building, this living, made of living stones and a cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And, and he is living with us here to get today. As we started to develop this picture and look at this picture, it's interesting that Peter again and again, even in this passage, uses the word submit. Because as you start to look at the Greek, it implies a volunteer choice versus I have to because I've got a command. And, and, and what Peter is talking about is how we are to respond to those in our world. Now, if you remember how we developed this and, and, and fleshed this out a little bit, the, the picture is of you and I being strangers. Peter uses this word three times. Aliens from, an, from, from, from another country, another place. And, and we, we have a king in that place, and our citizenship is that place, heaven. And, and, and we are here temporarily for a while as citizens of heaven, ambassadors of Christ in this place. Then Peter starts to develop that by looking at different significant relationships you and I have. He begins, and we looked at the other week, we looked at the whole area of our relationship to government. Today, he comes and says, I want to talk to you about your relationship to slavery. Well, slash your work. Now, as, as uh, you may or may not know, slavery was a big thing in the time of Peter. If, if, uh, if you start to look at, at the Roman Empire, it was massively employed by slaves. 
historians figure that there's between 50 to 60 million Roman slaves. Uh, and, and they got them in all kinds of ways. S some were conquered on the battlefield and dragged home. Some, they conquered countries and, and, and just brought whoever and whatever they wanted back to serve them. Um, now, as soon as you became a slave, you became an unperson. You became, you became a person with no rights and, 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 and no freedom, and, and you had to do what you were told. And, and the laws were always on the side of the owner, the master. Uh, the master could beat you, and there would be no consequences. He could rape you, there would be no consequences. He could kill you, and there's no consequences. You were a piece of property. In fact, as you start to read some of the old ancient people like Aristotle and them, the way they talked about slaves was bizarre. Aristotle talked about a person buying a farm. And when you go to that farm, you, make, you get, bring all the slaves out and you, and, you, and you kill the old slaves because who wants to keep old broken tools? That, that was the language he used. And so there was no respect and there was huge expectation on them to obey. And if they didn't obey, there was violence. Now there's a whole spectrum of slavery. If you take the one side, you would see that there, there, were, there, were, there were especially uh, military guys or criminals that, that had been defeated in battle or broken the law, and they were sent to the mines. And you may not live two, three months, maybe a year or two in those mines. They're so terrible and, and cruel. Some would be sent to the galley slaves, and you would end up the rest of your life rowing until you were dead. Others, you'd move into what we call household slaves, and, and they would fill every kind of situation. You, you may have a, a doctor. You, you may have a, a, a teacher, and they would be assigned appropriately. In fact, I, I've read several commentaries that suggest that Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, possibly had been a slave and was lent to Paul who had medical issues. Maybe. We don't know. But, but in that household, there would be slaves doing everything for you. And if you had children, you would, you'd, one of your slaves would be the teacher of those children. If, if you had babies, they would have nannies that would take care of those. And, and so everybody had a role and everybody had a responsibility. Then there were supervisors. There were slaves who had shown that ability and ability to supervise and oversee. And they were given a bit more. They maybe had their own room. Some of them were given their own wife. And if you were born into the family of a slave, that baby would become a slave from birth. Now, slavery was a big thing. In fact, the Romans actually feared the slaves. Uh, if, if you've read some of the history, the thing they feared most is if these slaves all get together and rebel, we're in real trouble. And, and so they're constantly watching out for kind of Rebellion. I don't know if anybody's watched the movie Spartacus, but it's one of those kind of movies. And, 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 and so, so there was clamps down, there was expectation, there, the, the, they had no rights, and, and often some of them would experience incredible violence. Now here's another dynamic. As the church of Jesus Christ started moving out of Israel into Gentile lands, which were Roman lands, even all the way to Rome, many slaves were attracted to the faith. That Jesus saw value in them 
and Jesus had come and died for them. And they had worth and, and, and everything in, in his eyes. And so these early churches that started, if you saw a normal congregation, whether it was a small host church or a little bit bigger church, many of those involved were slaves. In fact, sometimes it got a little bit awkward because sometimes they'd have communion and, and, and a, a rich man would come who's a Christian and he'd bring all of his lunch and everything and the slave would sit there with nothing. And Paul actually spoke to that. Peter, very aware of this reality, is writing about if you're a slave who is a Christian, how are you going to live? Now, let me draw this out really quickly for you because I, I, I want to go into some more application if we can. There's your master. And, and Peter lays it out really clearly. You may have a good master. You may have a bad master. It's interesting the word he uses. He says you may have a harsh master implying violence and trying anger and trying all of those kind of things. You may have a good one or a bad one. You may have a Christian master or you may have an unbeliever as a master. If you look at the, the New Testament, there's, there's one page. There's one page called the book of Philemon. And it's Paul writing a master about a slave called Onesimus. And I'll let you read that later. But Paul, Peter is writing these, these people and, and understand they're sitting in church and, and this manuscript is, is, is let up and, and they're reading it and there's free men and there's slaves and there's masters and there's servants in the same congregation. And he says, you as, as slaves must submit to your master. You must treat them with respect. And Paul goes an interesting way, or Peter goes an interesting way. He says, for some of you, there's going to be times that you will do things that are wrong. And as you do those kind of things that are wrong, you're going to suffer for that. You'll be beating or whatever kind of thing. And, and, and all the slaves would probably sit in church saying, yeah, yeah, there's times I've blown it. They caught me stealing or they, they, they caught me doing this that I shouldn't have. And, and, and I got a good beating on that one and, and so on and so forth. But somehow in their mind, it was like justified and then Peter says this, but there's sometimes that you will be doing good and you will unjustly suffer. So as a Christian, how do you respond to that? What do you do when you are suffering for something you've done that was not wrong, that was about your values, about your beliefs, about your hope in Jesus Christ? That's a really good question. I paused as I started to go through this passage and saying, okay, Paul, can you think of a time that that kind of thing happened? And actually, it pops into your mind and my mind probably right away. Genesis chapter 39, we have Joseph. He's sold by his brothers. He's now in Egypt. And Potiphar, a very powerful, dangerous man, has bought him his property. And, 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 and the Bible keeps saying that, that, that everything that Joseph touched, God blessed. And so he started to move up in, in, the, in, in the ranks of slaves from this least kid to, to more in, in influence and more uh, responsibility. And eventually he became manager of all that Pharaoh owned. Pharaoh sounds like he was away a lot. 
And his wife began to lust after Joseph. Good looking guy. And she tries to get him to sleep with him. That's what the passage says in 39. He refuses because of his values and of his morality, of his faith in God and his respect for his master. And says, I won't do it. Now, this is harassment. This is continual. If you read it, it happens again and again and again until she gets so mad that she charges him with rape. If you read the passage, it's almost like Joseph doesn't even get a word in that, that Potiphar comes in having lost it over what his wife had just told him. That they, they, they take Joseph and they throw him in the, the deepest, darkest pit prison they can find in Egypt. One who suffered for doing good rather than doing wrong. Have you ever been in that kind of situation? Uh, now, I got to tell you, as I started to prepare the sermon, I started to think, slaves, well, that was way back then. And yes, there is slavery today, but, but it's talking about applying it to us. So how do I apply it to us? And I started to think, I am not a slave. You're not a slave. So how do we get this and bring it a little closer to home? So I got a chart, and I, you know me in charts. I started to lay it out, and I started, there's what slaves do, have experienced. This is, and here's the opposite. Here's the similarities and all of that. That, that uh, very often, if you're an employee, you have prior training, right? You go to school, you get trained in this, and then they hire you. Where a, a slave, sometimes they, they were training, like a medical doctor or a teacher or a cook or, or, or something else. And, but sometimes they just were brought in and given the job and learned it on task. There's others. If you're talking about an employee, you're hired. You can be fired. You can also quit. Uh, but where, where the slaves, they're bought. They're purchased. They're a piece of property. Um, they can be beaten. They can be branded. They can be killed. If you ran away in the Roman time and, 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 and got caught, they, they, would, they would come and, and get this hot iron and they'd brand an F on your forehead. So the rest of your life, whoever saw you were, would know that you had been a fugitive. And, and, and so th they could do whatever they want. So there's, I can hire, I can fire, I can quit, versus freedom. The employees usually are given a specific job, so many hours a day, five days a week, and with days off. Slave was 24-7. They never had a break. Sometimes they, they, weren't, they were given mornings off or things like that, and we suspect that's how a number of them would just go to church on that Sunday, Sabbath morning or Sabbath evening. We, we don't know all of that, but the, the, the days off were rare if almost non-existent. They would get, employee gets money. Slave obviously gets nothing. Employee has protected rights. I don't know how much you think about how protected you are as an employee or an employer in this world today. But there are, are guidelines, there's rules, there's expectations. There's, you can't do this, you can do this. Where there, it was nothing. Now please understand the slavery of that day. It was so integrated into the Roman culture that it was an essential quality. There's Christians today that will say, well, why didn't the Christians rebel? Well, first of all, they, at, at this time, they were too small to even have an influence. And it was, it, that would have been such a counterculture thinking that literally, 
It probably wasn't even considered. It, the question was how to be a good slave rather than how to be a free slave. Now, as you continue through history, you'll find out that, that within 400 years, the Christian influence had gotten so, so powerful that much of the slavery disappeared. Also, you'll know that if you, if, you've, if you know your history books a little bit, that Christians were some of the leaders that stopped the slavery in England, America, all of those areas as well. But there's this difference. And I started to look at them. Now, a slave on the one hand is being told by Peter that you are free in Christ. You may not be free in your body, you may not, but, but Christ has set you free. Remember what we've been talking about, that you are a citizen of heaven now, that you have, you have a father God, that you are part of, the, part of the kingdom of God. He suddenly, as the writing would say, that you have given a choice to, to obey your masters, a choice as in following God. Is that different than you and I, our employees? Actually, it's interesting to watch because one of the terms used for us to describe us in Scripture, and I, I found it interesting, it, it's throughout the whole New Testament and intensifies sometimes in the, in the Revel, book of Revelation, but that you are Christ's servants. Parallel word. You are Christ's servants. So if you're an employee today, you are the servant of God working in this place. If, if you are a manager or a boss or an owner, you are still a servant of the living God and, and God still has expectations of you as his servant. So there is a parallel as we start to look at together. Now here's the bottom line. The question is, if you are a servant, what is your witness at your work like? I've been going on this historic route in my, in my head these last couple of years, and, and, and I've been thinking this week about all the different jobs I had since I was knee-high to a grasshopper and started as a boy delivering papers and worked in a grocery store and worked in coal mines and worked in a farm implement company. And, 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 and I've luckily had great employers. But there's some days... That even the best employer isn't fun to be around. I, I remember when I was working in the coal mine that there was a season that the coal mine was in financial troubles. They had not got the contracts of, that they had wanted and suddenly they were in layoff and I was one of the people that are on the top of the layoff list and going to work every day and living under that tension of I need to do my job, I need to work hard, but... Does it really matter? All of that emotion that goes on. I don't know about your job. I, I don't know the tensions and the struggles that, that you go on, but understand that whatever position you're in, Peter says you're a servant of the living God. And in the place that you are working, you will be either a witness for Christ or against Christ. Now, as I start, started to think about this, one of the big issues in our culture today is injustice. They didn't treat me right. The layoffs happened and I didn't get the proper deal. 
I, I have to have medical leave. And, I, and, 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 and you know, the stories go on, and you hear about people feeling they've been mistreated, they've been wronged, they've been injured, they've been victimized, they've been neglected or ignored or abused or not. What are your rights? What are your not rights? Well, step back. A servant, a slave has no rights. But a slave, a servant, does have a testimony. And I want to suggest to you that that servant, you and me, is being watched. I, I remember working in the grocery store, and, and I, I was the dairy man, whatever that meant. And, and I did the cheese, and I did the milks, and I did all of those kind of things. And I, I loved that, and I loved the interaction with people and all of those. But it was interesting, the other employees were all aware I was a Christian. And they were watching for if I got mad or if I lost it or if I, whatever. However you are working, wherever you are working, if you are known as a Christian, and you should be, you are being observed. Even when you're working with other Christians, they're, they're observing your faith as well. And so the question is, what are they seeing what are they not seeing? And, and you, well, if you jump into the rights thing or the, the well, it's, it's not fair, it, they're going to be looking at you and asking, how are you functioning? Do you see Jesus in that person or not? So the question is, what do you, how do you learn? Where's your model? How, how do you function in a way that, 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 that can, can, can show you how to live as a servant of the living God in the place that God has placed you? Well, that's interesting because as I started to look at this passage, I found something rather fascinating. Peter starts by talk, challenging slaves, saying, you know what? You have a master. Sometimes it's harsh. Sometimes it's good. And, and, and there are times that when you mess up, you're going to be punished. But there are times that even though you do nothing wrong, like Joseph did nothing wrong, you will be, you will suffer. The question is, how do you deal with that suffering? And so Peter writes this bridge verse. It, 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 he moves from this topic and bridges it over to the next topic. He says this, to this you were called. That's an interesting word, isn't it? You've been called? You've been placed in this. I, I'm getting more and more convinced that as a Christian that you have been placed in this place, in this time, in this, these situations. I, I, don't, I, I have such a strong view of God's sovereignty, I don't think it's random at all. I think that, that we are here together and we are here in this time and this place for a purpose. That's a calling. Because Christ suffered for you, then it says this, leaving your example that you should follow in his steps. So what are his steps? Now this is a really fascinating bridge that Peter does to us. Because he moves us from that to Isaiah 53. Do you remember, remember me doing, we did a, last year we did a study on Isaiah and, and, and saying that, that one of the fascinating things about Isaiah is it's the, it's the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. Peter loves Isaiah. 
He, we've already run into that. He's, he's quoted Isaiah already. Well, there's a whole section now that he quotes. In fact, he starts at, at chapter 5 and takes a phrase here and a phrase here and all the way down, down to chapter nine, or verse 9. You want an example to how to live? Peter quotes Isaiah. Now, let me put a bit of context to this with you. Isaiah was written about 800 years at least before this. 800 years. Peter is writing to, a, remember, a Jewish audience in northern Turkey? So they know the Old Testament, and they know the Scriptures, and they know Isaiah. And, 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 and they know Isaiah the prophet, and, 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 and they know that Isaiah in 53 would predict the suffering Savior that was fulfilled by Christ. In fact, that would be one of the places they would have been taken early in their spiritual journey as, as the Christian teachers and pastors would have been equipping them to how we should live. Peter brings it up again. He says, you're a slave, you're a servant. There are times that you will go through situations that you don't like, that are very difficult, that aren't fair, that, that don't seem right. How do you respond? And then he takes us to Isaiah. And Isaiah said he committed no sin. Didn't do anything wrong. When I read that, I think of Pilate saying, I, I, I find no fault in him. Why are you guys wanting to put him to death? I find no fault in him. Oh, or, or the next thing he says, there was no deceit found in his mouth. As you read through the Gospels, there's no lies there's no deception. There's no manipulation. What he said was true. What he said was loving. No deceit. He did not insult, did not retaliate, Isaiah says. <laughs> now, I got to tell you, if I have a tendency, I like to retaliate. Well, you say that? Well, let me tell you what I think. You ever met someone who can't stop cursing? They just swear up and down one side of a person and down the other side of the Jesus was silent. In fact, the scripture talked about him being like a lamb, silent to the slaughter. He suffered and made no threats. He could have said, just wait till you stand before God and see what, just, just wait. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he took our sins, our faults, our mistakes, our intentional wrong things that we do upon himself to the cross. By his wounds you were healed. And in this context is a very spiritual comment. That you were dead in your sins and he rose you back to, back to life through his death and resurrection on the cross. And so Peter's looking at his audience and he's saying, I know that things have happened to you that don't seem fair. Was it worse than what Jesus went through? I, I, I know there's things that people have said to you and, and it's gossip and it's lies and it's all. Do you think Jesus had worse than that? 
And th- there are events that took place and you don't understand and you don't understand the, God's purpose and all of it. Do, do you think there's times that, 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 that Jesus went through things? And, remember Jesus said, Father, if you can take this from me, but not my will, thine be done. And so it's almost like Peter is comparing and saying, folks, I know you've gone through some difficult times, but it's not as bad as Jesus is. Jesus responded by forgiving and loving and blessing rather than cursing and attacking. I wonder if you were a slave in northern Turkey sitting in a I don't know, bench or pillow or whatever they sat on. And you heard those words being preached. I wonder what you would have thought about. Yeah, but I remember when I said this. I remember when I did that. How about you? (laughs) I think we're in a culture that loves to curse, loves to complain, loves to tear them down with gossip. Loves to attack their character and their everything they do. There will be times that you will suffer. There will be times that people will reject you because you're just a Christian. And Jesus said, I had worse. Now, I... I, I, I couldn't stay away. I started saying, okay, so that's what Peter says. What does Paul say? Paul has this interesting thing. You can find about four passages that Paul actually teaches about slavery as well. He says, first of all, to obey your earthly masters. In fact, when Peter says submit, Paul always says obey. And he says, treat them with respect and sincere hearts, especially if your master is a believer. You working for a Christian? How do you treat that Christian? Later on, he will say, serve them with all of your heart as working for the Lord. Do you see the shift? Do you remember what, we, what, what Peter said? He says, we are, we are a royal priesthood. We, we are part of the house of God. Christ is our cornerstone. We are membership of, of, of heaven. Our, our, our citizenship is in heaven. Paul's saying this another way. He says, that's your workplace? Stop working for your boss and start working for the Lord. What you do, don't do it for pay or pleasure or, or whatever else reason you're doing it, compliments or whatever. Do it just for the Lord. Walk through those doors at work and say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for you today. Paul will add, so that God's name will, and teaching will not be slandered. Paul gets really specific. He says, don't talk back to them. Don't steal from them. Show them that you can be fully trusted. In fact, serve wholeheartedly. We've moved into a generation that doesn't want to work. We, we've moved into a generation that wants to work as short as they can for the most amount of money as they can so they can enjoy their free time. Are we different? 
I love what he's, Paul, Paul says in Titus. He says, so that teaching about God our Savior becomes attractive. What, what, what would happen if your boss came up to you and said, you know, I don't know what it is about you. I've watched you. You're a good worker. You're faithful. You're honest. You're great with the customers. You, 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 you love the clients. What is it about you that makes you different than others? Can you imagine someone saying that to you? That makes Jesus attractive. Now, Peter doesn't want you to ignore the fact that you're going to be suffering. It's not going to be easy. In fact, I want to suggest to you that if, <laughs> I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but as things seem to be moving, I think it's going to be harder for a Christian in the workplace. So how do you respond? How do you live in that? Well, Peter gives some interesting phrases. First of all, he says you're to bear under the pain. If you're suffering for doing good, he says, this is commendable before God. Why don't you grab that word commendable? God looks down and said, hey, well done. Proud of you. Keep going. There are times that people will say things and do things to you and the response is, Lord, how would you have me respond rather than how do I want to respond? And, and then Peter says in verse 19, he says, you may be suffering for your faith because he is conscious of God. Otherwise, as you go to work, are you aware God's present with you? Are you aware that wherever you go, he is with you and, and walking with you and watching you and leading you and guiding you? Are you listening to him? Are you conscious of God in your workplace or your school? Are you conscious that God is present in your life everywhere? Finally, he says this, verse 23, goes back to a theme we talked about before. He says, he entrusts himself to him who judges justly. There are going to become times when you're going to say, that wasn't fair, that wasn't right. But I'm not going to take revenge. I'm not going to seek justice. I'm going to trust God to do that. And we put those people in the hands of a mighty, divine, righteous judge. That's a fearful place to be. And so there are times that you need to stop and pause and pray and say, Lord, I'm so angry, I don't know what to do right now, but I choose to forgive them. I choose to place them in your hands. You deal with them. I have this thing in my head that says there's going to come a day when we will look back and see how God dealt with people. And we will say that was the most fair, just thing anyone could do. Because that's who he is. Now watch how Peter closes. He closes this little passage, this little passage, and he says this, you were, you were like sheep being led astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 
Let me translate that for you. You've been living in this world and you've been wandering all over the place. Purposeless, meaningless, hopeless, all of those kind of things. Lost, empty. But the shepherd has sought you out and he's gathered you into his arms and he's taking you into his fold and he's brought you into his kingdom and he's made you his child and he's brought you into his, his family and made you part of his kingdom. He's the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He is present with you. Now think of what that would mean to a slave who thought he had lost all of that. He would never be back in his home country. He would never see his relatives. He would never see his loved ones. Maybe they were dead. He would stay as a servant doing this menial job the rest of his life with no thanks and no pay and no love. And then God says, hold on. I see you. I call you. I love you. You are welcomed into my kingdom. And this will end, and then you will step into eternity with me forever and ever and ever as a son of and or daughter of the King of Kings. Can you imagine what that hope would do to a heart of hopelessness? I don't know what the Lord has for you today. Have you been one of those better complainers at work? Are you always dissatisfied? It's never gone right. It's never done right. I got the worst boss in the world. I am the worst boss in the world. I don't know what you've got. But Peter wants to invite you to live conscious that Christ is with you. Aware his presence and aware of his justice and love. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, these are just some simple verses and yet they're so profound. I would ask that you take this and help us to apply it to our personal lives. Lord, sometimes we feel like slaves, but we're actually pretty free. Lord, help us to understand what it means to be free in Jesus Christ, every day that we live on this earth. I'd ask this in Jesus' name.